0: Hey guys, it's Abel here with the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast and in this episode you'll hear part one of my conversation with the one and only Dr. Mike Isratel. I had him on previously some months ago and had one of my favorite episodes with him and that time we talked mainly about training and how you should periodize your training, why deloads are important and how to manage your connective tissue health besides getting as jacked as possible. It's been one of my most popular podcast episodes to date and I felt really compelled to reach out to him again to now talk about his new book that he co-authored on the topic of healthy eating. Because health is really a concept that way too many people feel qualified to preach all kinds of messages about and it leads to the promotion of all kinds of false ideas and scams. So, in this episode, we'll really geek out on everything related to healthy eating, including calorie balance and the importance of maintaining a healthy body weight and body fat percentage, why eating mostly healthy whole foods is important and why you can be perfectly healthy eating a whole variety of macronutrient profiles. We actually ended up spending a fair bit of time talking about how people can actually decide who to trust and follow in this whole space, And how to detect all the BS that is out there. I love this interview because this is about a super interesting topic and also because Dr. Mike is always an absolute pleasure to talk to. He's always on point, articulate, has great humor and he comes up with these super cool analogies on the fly, which amazes me because I suck at coming up with appropriate analogies usually. I actually planned asking him about how he comes up with these analogies, but forgot, unfortunately. But anyway, next time. So I hope you enjoy this part one of the interview. I'll be posting part two in a few days. Use the timestamps to navigate between all the topics in this interview and let's hear the interview. Uh, Thank you so much, Dr. Mike, for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, first of all, just before we dive into our topic today, which is your uh, new book, uh, Understanding Healthy Eating, uh, just a kind of random question. How was your year uh, professionally? I've seen a lot of podcasts that you appeared on. I know your team, Renaissance Periodization, has produced a lot of cool products. So has it been a really cool year for you professionally?
1: best year ever. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's been a very good year. Um, you know, uh, as an aside, I think it's interesting when people say, you know, oh, 2016 was bad or 2016 was good. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think we all know that the splitting up of the year into a calendar is mildly arbitrary. Most events don't occur in a yearly cycle. They occur in a continuous sort of linear uh, progression right things happen uh, there's nothing magical about uh, you know now as about three days ago uh, so you know 2016 for me just happens to capture kind of a pretty big expansion of my reach and of how much meaningful and good work that I've done so when people a couple of people have asked me you know what are your plans for 2017 my own plans are the same all the time is to try to deliver very high quality information and high quality products that distill that information to as many people as would like to have them. And and, and that's it. And I think it was very successful in 2016 and uh, hopefully successful in 2017, but I'm not particularly attached to success because it's out of my hands. The only thing I can do is as good of a job as I can, and I'm definitely committed to doing that. So that's about all I can say about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you already see what kind of themes do you plan to explore uh, with your team? Because, for example, understanding healthy eating was, for example, a relatively new area of exploration as far as your products go. Is is that correct?
1: Yeah, you bet. You know, we've got uh, some stuff in the works that's pretty top secret and I can't talk about. Mm. Um, but uh, so that's going to be really cool. Uh, but uh, there's also some stuff um, I'm going to be exploring uh hypertrophy training and practical recommendations for hypertrophy training considerably in the next couple months we're going to be um i i I have the capacity to write a book on uh, a very simple book just like understanding healthy eating I, i potentially could write one on physical activity in general so something like physical activity and health Mm. I teach a course in which I cover both of those, and part of that course is basically teaching the exact same stuff that's in the Understanding Healthy Eating book. The second part of that course is in teaching about physical activity. So when people say, you know, what is it about physical activity that leads to health? What kind of physical activity do I need to do? You know, because you've got very conflicting claims. People say, you know, I do yoga. Is that good enough? Or some people say, you got to lift weights. Or some people say, well, I just run. Is that okay? Or what about just gardening or walking around the city? Is that okay? There's actually, the research on that is pretty crystal clear as to what has big effects, what has small effects, what has no effects at all, and what details matter. And I'm in a very good position to write that book. I just have to have the free time to do it. So that it could, it could be something that we do this year. Um, and uh, there's going to be a lot of focus on hypertrophy training this year because I've, I've gone out to that uh, for a while now, and there's a lot of meaningful stuff to say about it. Totally.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think especially from you because you you post a lot of stuff on Facebook and on various platforms on the themes of hypertrophy and I think I, I think you're definitely one of the figures that if you put out something on that topic then it will spark a lot of interest. So, yeah.
1: Well, hopefully, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks. Uh-huh. I try, try to uh, I try to do uh, you know put out some really good stuff. Um, And, uh, you know, it's interesting, one thing we keep putting, and I've been writing a couple articles that are going to be coming out soon, and a couple of kind of little mini guidebooks about hypertrophy, and one thing that we actually say in in all the articles in the the mini guides is, a lot of this is just, uh, is really food for thought, and it's designed to be applied as an idea, Um, uh, it's not dogmatic, Uh, one thing that I've been fighting for a while now is every time I make recommendations, if I make enough of them, I make them pretty clearly. Some individuals seem to take them as very dogmatic and uh, kind of almost religious. Um, Exactly this, or or they'll, they'll watch me do a workout. They'll say, I noticed you do this. You seem to do it all the time. Why do you do it all the time? And I go, you know, how did you get the idea that I do it all the time? And they're like, well, you posted three videos. I'm like, do you think I only have three training sessions under my belt? (laughs) (laughs) And they say, oh, yeah, I had no idea. So a lot of the things we say, uh, I'm kind of meaningfully trying to say now is, this is one approach that I think very much works. And I think it's intellectually very defensible. But it could be off by a little bit. I think it's always a good idea, no matter who the expert is or uh, whoever says some stuff. Everything is always just really good food for thought, so that you can make your own plans and own training ideas from that. Um, as recently as my popularity has grown, some people have started to say things about my ideas. Uh, kind of interpret them as dogmatic, and I'm never meant to be like that. Uh, always meant to be educated guesses of increasingly more precision, but not total precision.
0: Right, right. And so um, th- this actually is a, is a good segue into into what what I want to talk about today is your your book on healthy eating and. I think especially on that topic, there is, I mean, obviously, there is always a lot of snake oil salesmen out there. And theres it's always easy to, to promote false ideas and kind of, kind of BS and, and just wrong information. But especially when we talk about health, because, you know, for example, with hypertrophy or with eating for body composition, if someone promotes some idea that is very obviously wrong, it will get tested out pretty quickly. Because if I tell you that calories don't matter. And if you believe that, within a week you will see the implications of that. But with health, it's a bit more tricky because the outcomes are not manifesting themselves within a week. So um, would you agree that it's especially easy to muddy the water with that kind of uh, in this kind of theme? Absolutely. And uh,
1: the evidence of that ease of muddiness is quite clear when you see that they are entire monoliths of industry built exclusively around falsehood and there's no better way of saying that or no easier more gentle way of saying that but there's entire people entire organizations entire magazines entire stores built around almost total falsehoods dr oz for example uh, comes to mind i'm sure you know who that is but, yeah. you know if you don't, that's great. But if you do, and unfortunately, almost everyone does, he yeah. uh, built a whole career on on saying almost exclusively untrue things. Um, there are a variety of health food stores that essentially are built on a fallacy, and a formal logical fallacy, the argument from nature, or you know, uh, the naturalistic fallacy, as it's otherwise known in some circles. Uh, and, and and boy, oh, boy, do, you know, if you can sell you know, forty billion dollars a year of product based on a a lie. We can very confidently say there's something very, very wrong with the health industry. And the yes, is absolutely very easy to sell trickery. And we're trying to fight that as best as we can.
0: Yeah. And, and what do you generally say? Because I'm sure you hear this a lot of times that, well, one day science says this and the other day it says this and experts contradict each other all the time. So what do you generally tell people who are not experts and are not kind of fitness professional? They're not necessarily even interested too much in in health and fitness, what do you tell them? How can they navigate between all the information and who can they trust? Is there a way to know this? Yeah, there is, um,
1: but it's really boring. And very few people do it. So you can tell them that the best place to start learning about diet and health, if you're very serious about knowing about it, is uh, from textbooks. That use, are used in high school and university courses. Mm. And these textbooks are kind of an agglomeration of most of the systematic literature reviews and meta-analyses that actually find what is up with health and uh, what the relationship with diet and health is. But, but these books, my God, you know, the truth is often not very entertaining, uh, <laughs> rather straightforward and sometimes technical. And so these books aren't really bestsellers. Most people have never heard of them. And there's some numbers involved and there's some display involved. And uh, uh, it's very conducive to mass uh, uh, prescription. There's no easy shortcuts. There's no, you know, just eliminate this one food and you're going to be healthy. But if you start with those kinds of books, uh, in, of which Understanding Healthy Eating, the book we wrote, is an example of that. It's a very systematic textbook-like book. Um, it, it then, you know, you're off on the right path. But very few people do that. As far as trusting experts, you can look at the experts that have written those te- sorts of textbooks, people involved in official governing bodies on nutrition, and, and they're usually not very high-profile, prolific people that say a whole lot, and uh, sometimes they'll write editorials in response to people who are prolific and high-profile that say the wrong stuff, but you don't really hear much about these people because they don't have anything super exciting to say, um, and and, and the, in that sense, understanding how to eat well does require a little bit of effort to be put on on an individual. And if they're like, well, what, you know, can't it just like go online and type in a web link? They can give you particular websites that are written by those individuals and do uh, aggregate very good representation of literature. But, you know, they're not like the first thing that comes up on Google. Um, And that's one of those things that when you have mass fallacies that abound, Finding the truth can be difficult if you're using search engines. Um, so, for example, if you type in artificial sweeteners and health or aspartame and health, probably I think link number one is from some, something called the Mercola Foundation. Dr. Okay. Mercola runs it, right? And it's a foundation designed to to peddle, you know, for lack of a better term, bullshit herbal supplements that do dick. And <laughs> um, it's a scam. The whole thing's a fucking scam. And uh, it has so many page views because so many people – Come stock built with the naturalistic fallacy that they believe this stuff right away, and uh, they'll automatically go to this page enough so that it gets huge page ranks and, and all of a sudden it comes up first. So maybe you know third or fourth it comes up you know some Wikipedia article which actually gives you a good systematic review and says, hey, well actually you know as- aspartame is completely fine for health. It's one of the safest food additives of all time. And uh, but but you know w- w- most people won't go to that uh, and they'll go to the first link and and it's a really big problem. So in situations like this, diet and health. When there's so much systematic mass illusion about health, and we outline, we have a whole chapter in, in the Diet and Health book about uh, systematic fallacies that occur that are very popular. When there's so many popular fallacies, it's actually quite difficult to find the truth. Um, from For intelligent people that understand the scientific method, it's not that hard, because what you could do is say, who... Is putting out information that seems to be research driven comprehensive research driven so we're not data mining for articles that support our support our position they're based on systematic reviews of the literature that means they look at all of the studies on a particular topic and then let literature speak about what's going on people that are very dedicated to the scientific process if you follow people like that on social media they can link you up with the kind of literature reviews easier if they find them than if you look for them they can be very instructive two people that come to mind in that and they don't Often uh, dabble in as often dabble in health, but they do considerably. Is um, uh, Brad Schoenfeld and Alan Aragon, for example, and these individuals are very high social media reach. They're easy to find. The way they talk is different than a lot of the way people talk. They say, you know, uh, current understanding seems to indicate that they don't say this is the truth. You're dumb if you don't believe it. <laughs> you know, they they're not. They, you see almost no conspiracy theories on their pages, and you see a very guarded, tentative scientific approach. So uh, I think, you know, if you follow people that seem to be very guarded, tentative, and scientific and and couch their ideas and, you know, this is good food for thought, this is probably our best idea what happens now, but further research can, of course, make this more precise and maybe change our direction, you're probably speaking to someone that has a respect for the truth and for good, proper science, and you're probably going to get a lot of the same stuff uh, from them, as you will from other people like that, oh, that inclination. If you like bombastic claims, things that turn the conventional wisdom on its head, uh, or really counterintuitive sounding things that just feel right and, you know, or simple, simple approaches that just solve a whole lot of problems eliminating one food or something like that then you're, you're probably looking at a lot of people who don't specialize in the truth and specialize in dogma instead. So even the way people carry themselves on social media, who to follow just from tone, you can start to get a pretty good level of information as to who's the right kind of person to listen to, who may not be the right kind of person to
0: listen to. Yeah, yeah, and just to kind of one final point that I want to make on this is that I think it's especially hard for people to navigate between all these sources of inf- information when someone, for example, we look at a dieting template like carb backloading. And one of, <clears throat> I mean, I used to be a pretty huge zealot back in the day, so unfortunately I know all these stuff by heart. And one of the big premises in that diet was that. If you eat carbs in the morning, that's really bad because cortisol levels are highest in the morning and insulin and cortisol high at the same time do these horrible things in the body and your body makes new empty fat cells and all that kind of stuff. And then there is a reference, but that reference is some incredibly complex biochemical pathway, you know, and the average person will never ever have the means to, to know or to decide whether that information is correct. And they will just say, wow, that sounds really complex. And they will believe it. And that's really sad, but it's very hard to defend for the average person, right? Yeah, very. And that brings up another
1: point. And the man that wrote that book and that propagated that um, what was his name? John uh, Kiefer. Kiefer. He's a fucking charlatan. (laughs) Um, There's no other way to put that uh, that I can think of. And uh, he would—he legitimately misrepresented uh, claims on purpose um, to try to, you know, put some kind of worldview together, and um, to uh, probably to try to make money. I assume he he's actually is just charlatanism, is what he's involved in. Unfortunately, I can't cut him any more slack than that. And he's a- actively and in, intentionally using scientific language and scientific terminology in um, ways that don't make any sense, that are not good faith efforts at uh, kind of arriving to the truth. So uh, there are a lot of people like him in the industry that will scientize their work. I actually had a, an article back in the day about that. <laughs> the scientization of the fitness industry is when they'll use all the formulas and equations and references that to very educated people make no damn sense, but to most other people make as much sense as anything else science puts out. So, um, that's another problem uh, is there are people in the diet and health industry actively trying to fool you so that you buy their shit. Um, and that's really, really bad news. Um, I know I wish I had nicer things to say, but, um, yeah it, it, that that is the reality of the matter. And, and it's a really, really big problem. So that's another big hurdle and another thing, another reason why so many people get caught up in stuff is because not everyone saying stuff uh, is coming at it from you know because there's you could have the problem of people honestly trying to figure something out, but some of them have made errors. In diet and health, there's another part of the problem where people are not honestly trying to figure something out. They're just trying to sell you a way of doing things so they can make money. And there's nothing wrong with making money. It's great. But, you know, if you're kind of one of those people that buys that stuff, boy, you're going to pay for it. And you're you're being actually, you know, vol- sort of uh, purposefully diluted by people trying to sell you stuff. And, and the car backloading was one of those things. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely, and yeah. I mean, at some point, I guess it. It, it uh, unfortunately for a lot of people, what it comes comes down to is that they almost have to be lucky enough that they come across the good sources of information, like Alan Aragon, like Brett Schoenfeld, and it's it's a sad reality, but that that's just how it is.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, again, the language of how these individuals carry themselves can be instructive. If you've ever seen any of uh, uh, that guy's stuff, um, he uh his advertisements were always really bombastic and you know are you tired of not growing any muscle yeah you can have revolutionary results with you know most exercise scientists are wrong and all this really crazy sounding shit and it was really uh spammy right um that that always made me uncomfortable and as a matter of fact at renaissance we've produced some free materials as part of like you know um an email funnel to try to get to reach more people and we had this uh, free document that just came out recently it's actually out now it's an mrv funnel it's like a little mini ebook mini article that i wrote and uh the individual that was helping us write it is uh, used to web marketing and we had to tone down he was was a great guy we had to tone down everything he said because it was so spammy (laughs) and and that's what gets the clicks and we're like we're okay with getting fewer clicks we're never going to come off like this you know um I remember his first attempt at the uh, article, it was called, um, you know, the new science. He called it the new science of maximum recoverable volume. And I was like, it's oh. neither new nor is it a science. <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> we just ended up with uh, uh, the MRV concept uh, as described by Dr. Isratiel. I mean, but that doesn't sound that cool. I want fucking new science, damn it! <laughs> I want robots <laughs> and shit. I want like petri dishes to fly out of the fucking computer when I click on it. But, 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 but that's just not true. So, so we, we couldn't say that kind of stuff. Um, so, I think uh, I think another really cool tip for people listening to this is if someone if someone's stuff sounds really really spammy and like new total revolution, like, uh, I, I I wouldn't, uh, I, I would be very, very skeptical of that kind of stuff. If someone's stuff is like, hey, you know, here's a review of the literature on stuff that works, or here's this idea, well, maybe it's worth looking into a little bit more.
0: Yeah, man, this, this, this topic is so endless. So <laughs> yeah, let's, let, let's just, uh, let's just get into it to our beautiful topic today. So um, when we talk about eating for health, as opposed to body composition or for performance, Obviously, there is some overlap, but um, what is the biggest difference um, between eating for health or for body composition?
1: The amount of macronutrient doesn't matter as much for health. It matters more for composition. But the source of foods, the food, what we call the food composition, where the foods come from, where you get your protein, where you get your carbs, where you get your fats, the particular kinds of foods don't matter much for composition, but they matter much more for body composition, but they matter much more for health. So for example, I'll give you two two ways in which this works. For health, as long as you get a very bare minimum of proteins, of carbs, and of fats, you can have a very one-sided diet of mostly carbs, mostly proteins, mostly fats. Or an incredibly varied diet, with, you know, a one-third of everything. And anything in between, as long as you hit those minima, you as long, and you do all the other stuff correctly, you're off to a very, very good health. So when someone says something like, you know, eating a lot of protein is really important to health, that's actually not true. It's not true if you say eating a lot of fat, or if you say eating a lot of carbs, or minimizing any of those, is also false. Diversity in macronutrient profiles that results in good health, so long as you're doing all the other stuff correctly. Now, on the other hand, in body composition, those nutrients, uh, getting enough of those macronutrients, minima is very important. So when you say, I want to optimize body composition, but I don't like to eat a whole lot of protein, you're going to run into a very serious problem. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. If you say, I want to get really muscular, but I want to keep my carbohydrate levels low, you're going to run into a very serious problem. So the macronutrient amounts, much more important to composition, whereas they're not very important to, to diet and health. On the other hand, for composition of the actual food, where those macros come from, if you want to be as healthy as you can be, but you like to eat mostly Pop-Tarts, Cheerios, and whey protein powder, the you know, the IFYM ultimate, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of a little running joke. Um, you're going to be trading off a significant amount of health for that. The kinds of foods you eat do matter for health. And, you know, they do matter quite a bit. Uh, On the other hand, if you want pure body composition outcomes, and someone's like, you know, you really have to eat more fruits and vegetables, you should stop eating all these Pop-Tarts, as long as you got your macros right, your calories right, your timing is right, you can eat like pretty weird, not super healthy sources of macronutrients, tons of sugar, tons of saturated fat, um, maybe proteins that are, you know, powder proteins, not even the most high quality stuff, and you will actually accomplish quite a bit of, of body composition results and uh you can get ripped eating mostly junk food just in the right proportions uh, can you get healthy yes but would you be much more healthy if you focused on the minutia of the kinds of foods absolutely and on the flip side of that if you really want to enhance your body composition and you don't pay much attention to uh you know how many grams of protein etc you're eating but you pay a lot of attention to the quality of the food so You say okay you know i'm only my only carbohydrates are gonna be fruits veggies whole grains you know really meats and only healthy fats if you don't get your uh you know proteins and carbs and fats right you're missing out on a lot of results as far as appearance even though you're going to be very healthy so the kinds of foods you eat very important to health not super important to body composition. The amounts of macronutrients pretty important to body composition. Not nearly as important to health as long as you get the minimum.
0: Right. So, um, so I really, really liked in the previous book, which was about uh, nutrition for body composition, that you laid out the pyramid or, or hierarchy of importance of the different factors. So, so you already touched on this, but so what? How does the this hierarchy of importance differ for eating for health?
1: Yeah. So for eating for body composition, the first priority is calories. And the second priority is the amount of proteins, carbs, or fats that make up those calories. The third priority is nutrient timing, which actually has a pretty big role, 10% not not insignificant. And then only later kind of tied with supplements and dead last is food composition, which is like exactly what are you actually eating in diet and health. Calories are still number one, which is great, and it's a really, really good commonality. And actually, calories are even more important to diet and health than they are to body composition.
0: Hmm.
1: Secondly, you get, uh, very important, is food composition. So what those calories are made of. So to put it this way, the most, if you only had two tips to give someone, you were sitting on an airplane or something, and the flight was almost over, and they found out you knew your stuff about diet and health, they are like, what are the easy tips for diet and health? You could say, listen, Control your calories so that you're at a healthy weight and eat mostly healthy foods when you do eat food, and that's it. So your food composition comes in second. And between calories and food composition, that's probably 80% of all the variants in diet and health. After that, and and so it's flip-flopped, you know, then we have actual macronutrient amounts as third, right? And then we have timing as like way, way down the list. It does almost nothing (laughs) uh, for health. And, and that's an interesting thing we can get into if you have any questions about uh, nutrient timing and health, because a lot of people think it's a really big deal, and it's really just not. It's much more of a big deal for composition, uh, for body composition than it is, for health. And then later, you know, we have supplements, hydration, all that stuff that barely matters at all. But the kind of foods, so the big difference is, you know, macronutrients don't matter very much for health, but they matter a lot for body composition. And food composition, the actual foods you're eating matter plenty for health, but very, very little for for body composition.
0: Right, right. So uh, so let's talk a little bit about level one first. So <clears throat> calories and, and body weight, obviously, they're intimately tied. Um, and so you're saying that both are important. So how much you're eating and then what kind of body composition that yields to, right?
1: The question of body composition is actually a little bit more complicated. So we can speak to that in just a second. What I can say is how much food you're eating, um, in, in relation to your physical activity is the only determinant of your body weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this calorie intake or what's called calorie balance is actually how it's not defined as how many calories you're eating. It's how many calories you're eating relative to your physical activity. Right? So, and that really just determines your body weight. So that, that variable can actually be called by weight. It'd be pretty much the same thing. Body weight is so intricately tied to health. It is difficult to overstate body weight is the best single proxy of health you can ever make without going directly to blood work. Um, The next thing after that is just blood work. (laughs) You gotta do invasive stuff. But how much someone Mm -hmm. weighs, especially in relation to their height, how big they are is profoundly linked to health And despite the many efforts of people in the fitness industry to say otherwise. People say, you know, BMI, right, which is a BMI is a kind of a statistical measurement of lar- largeness. It's, the, you know, how, how heavy you are based on your height. People will say, oh, BMI doesn't matter. They're wrong. <laughs> There's no other way to put that. For the general population, how much you weigh relates to how fat you are incredibly, incredibly closely. Not very few people walk around super jacked. So for most people, how heavy you are and how fat you are mean almost the same thing. Now, for individuals that have a lot of muscle and very little fat that are much heavier than you would think, being heavier still costs you. It still costs you in health. Now, if that extra weight is muscle, that costs you much less than if it's fat, but it still costs you. So any individual that is big and lean and muscular, if all of a sudden health was number one to them, they should lose weight, period but because they have very little body fat they can be as healthy as a person who has weighs less but just has more body fat than them however at any point weighing less if you're overweight is better it's just much better for people that are overfat than it is for people that are muscular so so take this example if someone is you know maybe a um, meter and a half tall or something you know meter meter 65 something like that and they weigh about you know oh, i don't know 70 kilos, or they weigh, let's say 85 kilos, but they're jacked, they're lean. Simple question we could produce from a scientific standpoint is, would they be healthier at 70 kilos? And the answer is almost always yes. Now, would they be healthier at 60? Ooh, at 60, they maybe actually be underweight, and then they could get healthier by gaining weight. But down to about maybe 65 kilos at at that height, you would be healthier the closer you were to 65K. And uh, if you were 90K, it, it, let's say you were 110K, you were an IFBB Pro bodybuilder, you had 3% body fat, you would still be healthier if you weighed less than 110K. 105 would be better than 110, 100 would be better, all the way down to 65. And because you're lean, that's great, but that still doesn't save you. And it's not a getaway, you know, it's not a get out of jail free card. Being lean is awesome in its own right, but weight itself, is negatively affecting health if you're overweight. It's just much less so if it's mostly muscle than if it's fat, but it's still an effect. Um, the you know one of the ultimate examples of that is people who are super muscular, world's strongest man competitors, IFBB pro bodybuilders. They're super jacked, super big. Their mortality rate, their rate of uh, illness, is actually quite high. Uh, it's not something magical that you would be like, oh, they're super lean and super active, they should be living forever. They have mortality rates sometimes comparable to individuals that are of that same body weight um, and relatively active but pretty fat <laughs> they're not worlds away like you would expect if you think body fat was really really what's wrong and, and muscle was just kind of a free thing you could gain without any ill health effect so so body weight is incredibly important and, and, and for most people reading our book they're not super jacked you know and a lot of times to get that jacked so you know people so if you read our book and you weigh 250 pounds can you really look yourself in the mirror and say oh you know it's, it's all muscle though like I mean, I mean my god if you're 250 on muscle you're probably using pharmaceuticals to get there which are already bad for your health <laughs> so um you know you're probably carrying some excess body fat and body weight and you probably would be healthier if you were if you were lighter can't state it in either way body weight is really really important to how healthy you are and the lighter you are to a point uh and at that point is being pretty light Healthier you are over the long term. That, now I have to say something really quickly. It is a, a metric, but it's also a value judgment. How healthy you are on average and how long you can live are trade-offs to other activities you may find to be more amusing and more uh, better uses of your time. For example, you know I could easily, if I wanted, I could weigh a half of what I do. You know I currently weigh like two hundred and forty pounds. Um, I could, you know, easily weigh one half of that, and be uh, very, very healthy, and and live maybe till I was ninety or something. Like my, all my whole family is all like tiny little uh, hobbit-looking Jewish people that live till they're hundred. <laughs> so uh, I could easily do that, but but then I would miss out on the part of my life that lets me get a pump in the gym, you know, pull off my shirt to get a tank top, look in the mirror, and, and like look like a god or something. Like, oh my god, I can't believe this is real. That brings me such an incredible amount of joy. I'm willing to trade off some number of years of my life. Uh, it's a trade off, though. I understand that it is. There's no free lunch there. But just because you're less healthy, being super jacked and super lean, um, you know, at some crazy body weight doesn't mean that you everyone should try to make health their number one priority. I mean, for Christ's sake, life enjoyment should be a priority. And, and to be honest, you know, you could ask the question of how much fast food or pizza or ice cream should you eat if health is your number one and only priority? The answer is never eat any of that stuff. But who the hell wants to do that? I mean, why the hell are you alive just to be alive? Like, hey, I made it to 95, and you're on your deathbed at 95. And they're like, so how was life? Like, it sucked. I lived it like a machine that was just trying to live as long as I could. And by living as long as I could, I made my life so sterile that I hated every moment of it. Well, that sucks, right? The only thing we want to do is make these trade offs kind of available. Yeah, it's certainly fine to say I could live to 95 and did everything perfectly, but I'm going to live to 85 and have a whole lot of fun, just measured fun. But nobody wants to say, okay, I'm just going to say fuck all of this and get up to 450 pounds and die at age 40. I mean, I don't think a lot of people want to die at age 40, right? So there's definitely some trade offs to make. And by knowing diet and health principles, you can make intelligent trade offs. So when we write this book, we're not saying everyone needs to be 120 pounds. If you want to live as long as possible, yeah, you should probably weigh very, very little, like a Buddhist monk or something like that. But if you, you understand that, okay, at 240 pounds, you're going to have some of these negative health effects, but at 200 pounds, you're still going to be pretty jacked, pretty lean and have much fewer. Maybe it's your choice to stay closer to 200 or your choice to make the trade off and go to 240. So it's all about using that, that information to your best abilities with your own moral judgments about what you want to do with your life
0: yeah yeah i mean it's uh yeah yeah like you said you might have a really healthy corpse when you die but when you look back at your life it sucked then it's not not a very good trade-off but just just still um dissecting this a little bit when we look at just simply being heavy not necessarily over fat but just heavy why is it so bad for your body is it because of the extra burden on your heart and organs and the extra blood you have to pump or what why what is it so bad about it
1: Absolutely, that's that's one of the main reasons. So, I mean, your heart has to actually actively work to pump blood to everything. Your heart uh, probably has only so many beats in it per lifetime. Um, And uh, if it uses more of those beats to pump blood around your big ass than if you were smaller, you'd live longer. Um, Your total amount of metabolic stress is higher. The amount of mitochondria that produce free radicals is higher when you're bigger. It's just more stuff, more engine to burn. And uh, the lifespan is thus longer because you accumulate metabolic stress faster. All of your organs are required to work harder. Um, Kidneys being a very obvious one, actually. You filter more blood. You get blood pressure considerations when you're heavier. Now, a lot of the stuff can be mitigated with proper medication and, and making sure to be very healthy and active, but nothing beats being lighter as far as that's concerned. So just being big is laborious. And in every single instance... Uh, of every single interspe- interspecies comparison. Live less long time than smaller interspecies, uh, sorry, intraspecies, not intraspecies. So for example, within dogs, right? We have dogs that are very small and they're the same species that our dogs are very big. Very big dogs don't live very long. You get a Great Dane, you got go to five, six years with a Great Dane, that boy's going to die on you quick. You get a chihuahua, that thing's going to outlive you or something like that, right? It lives like 20 years, something unreasonable. It's like blind and can't see, but it's still alive. It's like 22 <laughs> years old. So it's something insane. Great Dane is not going to live till 22 because the uh, dog physiology was not designed, literally not designed to support an animal that size. Human physiology was absolutely not designed to support humans that are gigantic. So humans that are gigantic burn through that physiology faster, right? Now, if you're an elephant, your elephant physiology is actually designed to support really, really huge animal. Elephants live, I think, 40, 40 or 50 years or something like that, which is pretty good. Um, and they live that long because their physiology is designed to support that weight. But for humans, you know, we're not meant to be elephant weight. And some of us that get up to that kind of weight, uh, you know, six, seven, eight hundred pounds or whatever, uh, pay for it really, really fast. So within Uh, considering almost every species within a species, there's an optimal weight range uh, for longevity and much lower and much higher than that is just going to cost your organs one way or another. And and if that's muscle, it's good because fat does some particular things to your physiology that are not great. And also inactivity both causes high levels of body fat and it takes a a toll on your physiology in other ways. Uh, So that's a much bigger problem, but even if it's muscle, it's still a problem. Now, is it much smaller of a problem? Totally. Like, so for example, I weigh, you know, 110 kilos or about 240 pounds and my blood work, to be completely honest, is amazing. This is great, right? Um, could it be better if I was smaller? Totally. But it looks pretty good. Would I have the same blood work if I was inactive and fat? Oh my God, not even close. But it still could be better if I was smaller. So uh, it's one of those situations where, yeah, just pure body size, because primarily of organ stress, um, is, will cost you. And here's another interesting thing about body size, which we could say. Uh, you could be very healthy at a, a high body weight when you're younger. When you're older, a lot of the stress that body weight put on your joints and limbs starts to accumulate to the point where your ability to be physically active later in life is very hampered. You can be very healthy at age 40 at 110 kilos. At age 60, having walked around at 110 kilos for that long, your knees might be totally shot. They're just done. You don't have knees anymore, as far as concerned. Now you're a candidate for knee replacement surgery, hip replacement surgery, et cetera, because of burdening yourself with that heavy weight your whole life. You are at poor health now. Your mobility is going to be restricted. And now the very physical activity that adds so much to your longevity and your health is something you can't do as much of as you need to. But if you spend your whole life weighing 60 kilos, man, you're gonna be 80 and your bones are gonna be fresh as fresh as ever. So you know, there's not much of a burden on them at all. Exercise was a burden that made them stronger, but there wasn't that chronic burden of moving around being heavy. And if you've ever been really heavy, you know exactly how that actually feels. It feels like shit and you know, you're taking the toll on your joints.
0: Yeah, and and when we talk about, you know, being uh, over, like having excess fat tissue, do you think there is a way to kind of be in that state but still be healthy? And, and I spe- I'll specify what I mean because there is a particular health professional individual who's pretty public actually and he is i mean overweight to say the least but probably is more obese if i'm being honest and he is he's always saying that he doesn't care about fat loss and about about body composition what he cares about is that his blood work is incredible and he's super healthy is do in your professional opinion is this even possible to achieve
1: yeah it absolutely is The problem is is there's a time delay that's not being figured out into that. You can be currently obese and the high level of adiposity is causing very slow, sequential, unstoppable changes to your physiology that will eventually reflect themselves in poor blood work. But for literally years, you can be fat and look really healthy and you are really healthy, but the fat is slowly taxing away your health. So that with a really, really big question, right? The super big question isn't necessarily, okay, am am I healthy now? Which is a good question. The question is, am I healthy now? And am I setting myself up to be healthy later? If you are lean and you're healthy now, you're also not not destroying your health later. There's nothing systemically going on that's gonna be worrisome for you. If you are overweight now, you're very healthy now. You could be, but you won't be healthy later because the very fact that you're carrying a high level of adiposity is at a metabolic level setting up poor health later. That's been demonstrated very clearly already, incredibly clearly. So people who are overweight now and saying, it's okay, my blood work is good, they're living on borrowed time in some sense. I can put this to you not an analogy, but actually a literal example. How many overweight teenagers are there? A lot. How many of them have poor blood work? Most of them don't. Most of them have good blood work. They really do. Why? Because they're fucking young, man. They're fucking kids. Kids can eat fucking pizza and ice cream every meal of the day and they look fine and they feel great. Even if they're over fat, that doesn't reflect in their blood work because they need time for those fat cells to destroy their metabolisms and make them unhealthy. And once that happens, holy shit. Here's a really big problem with that. Uh, high accumulation of body fat, just as an example, builds insulin resistance over long, long periods of time. For a long time, it's undetectable. Then you get pre diabetic and you start to kind of be concerned. And then if you keep doing that stuff, you're diabetic, type 2 diabetic. After you become type 2 diabetic, you don't just reverse it, you're something you're burdened with for the rest of your life. It's more or less a permanent condition. Now, if you lose all of that body fat, become super, super lean. You can, from a blood work perspective, look no longer type 2 diabetic, but as soon as you gain the smallest level of body fat back, you go right back into a very, very deleterious state where someone else couldn't have gained body fat back. And if they never were two type, type 2 diabetic, it's not really a big problem for them. You can heavier, lighter, no big deal. But once you're type 2 diabetic, you got to watch that shit super carefully, because if you don't, you're paying for it right away. So yeah. that's a problem, right? So when, when people who are, you know, what is it called? Fit but fat, uh, they're... Most, I think most people in the industry or most experts in obesity would say, good, that you're not currently unhealthy, but now is the time to lose a lot of fat so that you can set up health for later, because uh, otherwise you're just living on borrowed time, more or less.
0: Right. Okay. So I think we really exhausted this topic. And just to put a final point on this, if we look at kind of the ideal body composition for health, would it be something akin to like 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 a fitness model type of look maybe not not as lean necessarily but something like that which is a little bit more muscular than the average person but not crazy huge muscular and definitely is much leaner than the average person
1: Muscularity, uh, probably average muscularity is just fine. A little bit above average seems to confer a slightly slightly, uh, good health advantage, especially as you get older. So, uh, you know, uh, let me put it to you in layman's terms. You know that guy at the office or at work or that kid at school that's like really skinny? You're like, Jesus, how do you stand up and down? That's not enough muscularity to be optimally healthy. But as as long as someone looks like, like a normal, healthy young person, they probably have enough muscle to be as healthy as they'll ever be. Any additional muscle doesn't make you unhealthy. It just makes you be able to do cool shit like fight crime or whatever else we use our muscles. Take over the world. Um, So, uh, but on that note, so the muscle thing is really small um, kind of room for for movement there. The the minimum isn't that much at all. For body fat, uh, down to about 15% fat for women and down to a figure that is uh, as yet unclear in men, the leaner the better. Period. (laughs) Um. But that doesn't mean we have to go insane and try to be as lean as possible all the time and ruin our lives. For men, if you're fit and healthy and active, anything under 20% is really not much to worry about from long-term health perspective, Uh, especially for adults. um, Anything under 15% is great. Under 10%, you're just killing it. So if you shoot for about 15%, if you're around 15 somewhere, anything below that is just bonus points. So you're good to go. For females, 25% 25% body fat is like awesome. Anything below 25, between 15 and 25 is just rockstar shit. So 25% or so. So if you're a female at 30, you're not doing too bad. If you're at 35, uh, you could lose some fat and be healthier. If you're at 25, someone if someone really comes up to you, when you're 25% fat as a female and says, you know what? You need to lose a ton of fat because otherwise you're going to be way healthier. That's just false. You're just going to be a little bit healthier if you go from 25 to 20 from 20 to 15 below 15, you actually have reproductive negative health effects for females. And it's not really actually recommended, but um, 25% for females, 50% for males. Those are rough targets for the general population that if you're around them within like 5% or so physical activities, which you should be worried about next. And then if you want a certain look, you have to understand that that look is largely independent from health. So, for example, if I if I walk into an office of people and everyone looks like about normal body size, nobody looks like super over fat, and most people are under 20, 25 percent body fat, and you're going to say, okay, you know, like, what can you tell these people, you know, as far as what they should look like, physique-wise? I'm just like, eh, they look fine. You know, say from the health perspective, they, they look great, but then you say, okay, what about just from a physique perspective, like, huh, you know, then we can make like critiques about muscle shape and symmetry and all this other crap, but that doesn't have as much to do with health as just being of a normal body size and not super over fat, under 20, 25% fat.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you for that clarification. And then uh, food composition. Uh, why is it important in a general sense to eat lots of whole foods and not that much processed foods? All right, guys, this was part one of this interview with Dr. Mike Isratel. Like I said, this guy is just brilliant. And to hear part two, where we will be addressing the rest of the important concepts related to healthy eating, stay super, super tuned and definitely subscribe because it will come very soon. So speak soon and take care until then. All right, see ya.